0: We have a buzzard-heavy show for you today on Roto Underworld Radio. First buzzard writes in, David Johnson is your number one running back in redraft, but on playerprofiler.com, he's best comparable to Toby Gerhardt. And that's true. David Johnson is best comparable to Toby Gerhardt because Toby Gerhardt excelled in a small sample size in his first season, and his measurables look strikingly similar to David Johnson. No player is guaranteed to be great. This could be the year that Adrian Peterson flames out. Ezekiel Elliott may never achieve RB1 status as almost Everyone in the fantasy community, including myself, believes he will. Anything is possible. What we're here to do is to practice analytical thinking. Analytics in the context of sports are probabilities defining possibilities. And when you look at David Johnson's comps, they're exciting. It's just that the most comparable player at this very moment happens to be Toby Gerhardt. But no one should be making any decisions for their fantasy team based on who a player's best comparable is. What you should be doing is looking at a full list of players with similar metrics to the player you're evaluating. And the way to do that is to go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and then you can look up all running backs by college dominator, speed score, production premium, juke rate and all of those david johnson metrics in which he excels that we laid out on the last show the best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is not something you should be basing your evaluation on the best comparable player doesn't have much real utility when you're forecasting player performance if you were decorating a room The best comparable player is the picture on the wall that no one's actually sitting on, no one's actually using. It's just a conversation piece, but it's not an actionable piece of data. It's interesting that David Johnson is comparable to Toby Gerhardt, but the actual data elements on his playerprofiler.com player page are more important, one of them being College target share. College target share is our new running back metric that we launched last week. And we had a handful of power users go straight to the data analysis tool, select college target share, and then sort based on that metric. And the most interesting player that shows up near the top of that metric is Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley's not thought of as a great receiver because he didn't catch many passes last year. But I don't think it was his fault that he only received 26 targets. And the reason I believe that is because in his second year at Georgia, Todd Gurley posted 37 receptions for 441 yards and six receiving touchdowns. <laughs> That's David Johnson esque receiving capability. And the college target share metric that we post on player pages is that running back's best college target share, not their final season college target share. And it provides a nice window into Todd Gurley's all-terrain capabilities. You think of Todd Gurley as something closer to Adrian Peterson. He's not. His talent profile actually skews closer to Ladanian Tomlinson than it does Adrian Peterson. That's why Todd Gurley is number one on the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings. And it's not particularly close. He's head and shoulders the best dynasty running back. And you should check out our rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And you can see both seasonal and dynasty rankings. So I love Todd Gurley because he's big, explosive, has great instincts, and he has great hands. Checks all the boxes. Love him. But there is a running back. That looks closer to Todd Gurley than anyone believes, who is significantly more affordable than Todd Gurley, and that's T.J. Yeldon, because the college target share also illuminates T.J. Yeldon's qualities. 8.8% college target share for T.J. Yeldon, 61st percentile. And all the reports from camp say that T.J. Yeldon is light on his feet, a great route runner, good hands. Go ahead and run the numbers. In the productivity section of the player profiler player page, you'll see 36 receptions in 12 games. That's three receptions per game. So if you extrapolate T.J. Yeldon's receptions from 2015, it's 48. He would have finished top 15 in the NFL in running back receptions. So TJ Yeldon checks those boxes. He's big, he's quick, he's efficient in the passing game, and you can get him at slot 97.9 in redraft. TJ Yeldon is easily one of the best 0RB targets out there because... Like Charles Sims, T.J. Yeldon has standalone PPR value. He'll be splitting touches with Chris Ivory, but T.J. Yeldon will be getting touches in the two-minute drill, and he'll be catching the ball out of the backfield, putting him in a better situation to score fantasy points. Just like Charles Sims was more efficient than Doug Martin last year, T.J. Yeldon will be more efficient than Chris Ivory, and I believe T.J. Yeldon will score more fantasy points per game than Chris Ivory based on the fact that T.J. Yeldon has an all-purpose skill set and he'll be put in a position to win in that Jaguars offense. I don't think you're going to listen to a podcast that harkens back to college production more than this particular show. And the college target share really illuminates why we look back at college stats. Because I believe strongly that college production illuminates a player's ability and not enough fantasy analysts talk about a player's college production, particularly sophomore players, sophomore running backs even more specifically. Go down the list. Amir Abdullah, fantastic college player. Jeremy Langford, very productive college player. TJ Yeldon, very productive college player. Tevin Coleman, electric explosive amazing college player. And yet it's as if they hadn't played football before 2015. When you read fantasy articles, it's like these players were beamed in from outer space. Where were they before 2015? They were playing the sport of football, hundreds of touches, an incredible sample size from which to analyze Performance data, and that's why college metrics from college dominator to college yards per carry to college target share are featured on player profiler. Player pages, because we are trying to provide a distilled view into a player's intrinsic qualities, and just flashing TJ Yeldon's 2015 counting stats or his pre-draft scouting report doesn't come close to accomplishing that. In the last show, we had Evan Silva on, and Evan Silva talked about zooming out, seeing the full picture on running backs like Jeremy Langford, and not defining them based on a partial rookie campaign. I'm not going to do that with TJ Yeldon. I'm not going to do that with Jeremy Langford. I'm not going to do that with Amir Abdullah. I'm not going to do it with Melvin Gordon. Those are all the running backs I'm targeting in my 0RB world domination campaign. Another buzzard writes in, You still like Austin Safarian Jenkins, but you don't like Doriel Green-Beckham. Who has the elaborate rationalization program now? In a previous show... I talked about why I've never been able to get my head around the Doriel Green-Beckham enthusiasm. A lot of analysts had Doriel Green-Beckham ranked number one on their rookie board in 2015, including the wide receiver guru himself, Matt Harmon from NFL.com. Did not have Amari Cooper as his number one wide receiver in 2015, and I found that... Perplexing. Number one, because Amari Cooper was quite clearly a generational college wide receiver prospect, and Doral Green Beckham was not particularly impressive. Not to mention, his passion to play the game was questioned at Oklahoma, was questioned at Missouri, and it was questioned during the pre draft process, which is why he wasn't a first round pick. And yet, you're ranking that guy number one? What? Looks like we have a phone call coming in. No one ever dials me on this line. Hello? Hello, Matt. This is Matt Harmon from NFL.com. I heard there was someone somewhere saying I was wrong about a player, and I, and I wanted to call you immediately to let you know that I've never been wrong about any player ever. Any player ever. Any player ever. Any player ever. Whoa, that was weird. Looks like Matt Harmon started buffering there at the end. Well, he was wrong. Very wrong. Inexplicably wrong about Doriel Green-Beckham and Amari Cooper last year. It's fascination with the size, speed phenoms. It's what I always get accused of doing, but there's precious little evidence that I am a height-adjusted speed score snob. I'm not. Think about the 2014 draft class. I love Brandon Cooks. I don't like Kelvin Benjamin. That's the only dichotomy you need to look at right there. Boom. Why? Brandon Cooks, exceptional college dominator. Kelvin Benjamin, below average college dominator. That's where I start. And that's why my first instinct when I read the news that Austin Zafarian Jenkins had fallen behind Cameron Brate on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers depth chart was, this was a motivational tactic by the coaches in Tampa. And in Tennessee, when I heard that Doyle Green Beckham was not listed as a starter I did not see that necessarily as a motivational tactic. I saw it as an indictment of Doral Green Beckham because Doral Green Beckham's college dominator of 31.8% was average. His college yards per reception was average. His breakout age, average. His Spark X score, the overarching Nike athleticism metric on playerprofiler.com was 102.2 37th percentile well below average. So even though wide receiver gurus in the fantasy football world thought Doro Green Beckham was the best wide receiver in his class, that thought never crossed my mind. But on the other hand, I have always thought since he came out of Washington that Austin Safarian Jenkins was the best tight end prospect we've seen since Tyler Eifert. In fact, Austin Safarian Jenkins' best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Tyler Eifert as well as a bunch of other high-quality tight ends that you would see upon searching for similar tight ends using the playerprofiler.com data analysis tool. So if I believe your talent profile is one of the best in the league, I will give you the benefit of the doubt that your coaches are trying to motivate you more than marginalize you. Doro Green Beckham never got the benefit of the doubt from me, and as it turned out in both cases, I was right. Because this surfaced on Roto World yesterday. Coach Dirk Cutter praises Austin Safarian Jenkins' work ethic over the past couple weeks. After opening the camp as a clear number two to Cameron Brait, ASJ has gained ground and is now splitting first team reps with Brait. Quote, Austin's worked his way back in there, Cutter said. And when he got moved down the depth chart, all you can ask a player to do that gets moved down is to compete and do better and try to get back up there. And that's what he's done. Rotoworld then states what I stated weeks ago, that Austin Seferian Jenkins' fall down the depth chart was a motivational tactic by Dirk Cutter. And it paid off. And now ASJ is back to being a high upside tight end in fantasy football. But if you go to the rankings on playerprofiler.com, Austin Seferian Jenkins has not oscillated wildly up and down the rankings. He's been around 10... For months, right now we have him at slot nine, but other ranking services I've been monitoring, Austin Severian Jenkins has been oscillating wildly up and down the ranks. He's seven, then he's 17, then he's 27, then he's back to 14. You have to question the process if the ranks are so fungible based on the latest news blurbs. And that's why zooming out is so important. If you zoom out on a player like Austin Safarian Jenkins and you make the determination that he is a phenomenal talent, that keeps your rankings more grounded and you're less susceptible to being simply swayed back and forth by the prevailing notions in the fantasy football community. But that's what you see more often than not. You have a couple players that analysts will have conviction about, and then after that, Their rankings are swaying in the wind. One player that I posted up in the top 20 tight ends from the beginning was Will Ty, And even after Larry Donnell was cleared to practice, I didn't move him down the rankings as others did. I kept him posted up in the top 20 because at his core, I believe that Will Ty is significantly more talented than Larry Donnell and camp and preseason have proved it. One note about these rankings, when I'm drafting at the end of a draft, I always go late round tight end. I don't own any Rob Gronkowski, Jordan Reed, Greg Olson, Delani Walker, Travis Kelsey, Kobe Fleener in any fantasy league. I exclusively draft the late round tight end and my favorite late round tight end is Will Ty. But if you were drafting based on my rankings, you probably would not be selecting Will tie in the later rounds. You'd be selecting Jason Witten or Charles Clay or Zach Miller, who I have ranked ahead of Will tie. But that's why you should not be drafting based on my rankings alone. My rankings are based on if everything remains static throughout the regular season. Here's a stacked ranked list of all the players based on the fantasy points per game that I believe they will score. Essentially, players like Tom Brady, Deion Lewis that are scheduled to miss time. There's some assumption that you will have a replacement level player in there while that player is on the bench early in the season. But the rankings do not account for a range of outcomes. At the end of a draft, I'm picking Will Ty over Charles Clay because Will Ty has a higher ceiling. If I had to make a prediction, what I think will happen and if I get it wrong, I fall through a trap door to my death, I'm going to take Charles Clay, particularly if I don't have access to the waiver wire, if a better player emerges on waivers. I know that with a late-round tight end, there's a high likelihood I'm going to drop the player I draft and pick up someone else on waivers anyway. Why not chase the player with a higher ceiling, even though, all else being equal, I believe Charles Clay will probably score more fantasy points than the player with a higher ceiling. This is the Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon corollary. I'm drafting Jarek McKinnon before I'm drafting Bilal Powell, even though, assuming Adrian Peterson doesn't get hurt, Bilal Powell will likely outscore Jarek McKinnon in PPR leagues. But in the event that Adrian Peterson does get hurt, Jarek McKinnon becomes an RB1 in fantasy immediately. If Matt Forte gets hurt, Bilal Powell does not become an RB1 in fantasy. So if I'm drafting a bench running back, I'm taking big hacks. I'm taking big swings. I'm trying to chase the ceiling. That's why the running backs on the back of my redraft rosters are going to be Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon more often than they will be Theo Riddick and Bilal Powell. (coughs) Another buzzard writes in, can you create a fake argument for robust RB like you did for Jarvis Landry? Absolutely. The number one expert on fantasy pros last year was Michael Fabiano from NFL.com. And yesterday, Michael Fabiano wrote an article on NFL.com in which he shared with his audience that he is a card-carrying backaholic, warned readers about the perils of 0RB, and recommended taking multiple running backs early in your draft. He also touted Adrian Peterson by saying, Adrian Peterson might be 31, but the dude's a cyborg, man. Now there's some analytical analysis. This is Michael Fabiano, a top expert on Fantasy Pros last year. He's telling you draft running backs early, in particular, Adrian Peterson, because he's a cyborg. So if he's writing it, it must be true. He's Michael Fabiano from NFL.com. That's an expert right there. So to build on the great Michael Fabiano's argument, robust RB is the way to go because while running backs in general bust more frequently than other positions, the bust rate for early round running backs is lower than mid and late round running backs. <gasps> Aha. And we are going to experience a running back resurgence in 2016. You're going to want to have one of these league winning running backs on your roster like David Johnson and like Todd Gurley that we mentioned earlier. If you can't get Todd Gurley, you can't get David Johnson, wouldn't you like to have the NFL leader in touches in 2016? His name's LaShawn McCoy. You should be stacking your roster with running backs. There's plenty of upside receivers to draft later. We talk on the show all the time about underappreciated receivers that can help your fantasy team win. Stephon Diggs can get him in the 7th and 8th round. You can get Devin Funchess in the double-digit rounds. Why not draft Philip Dorsett? If either Dante Moncrief or T.Y. Hilton go down, Philip Dorsett becomes a fantasy WR2 instantly tethered to Andrew Luck. So load up on wide receivers later, make sure you get those elite running backs that are less bust prone early. And on playerprofiler.com, we have a metric called value over stream. Comparing the fantasy points per game of each player to the best available player on the stream that season. Using the data analysis tool, who do you think had the best value over stream across all positions last season? Devontae Freeman. So the best way to win your fantasy league is to start with Todd Gurley or David Johnson. Then draft Freeman in the second round and LaShawn McCoy in the third round. And then send me a commission check with a percentage of your winnings because I just gave you a foolproof plan to dominate your fantasy league. Except you can't draft all those running backs because Michael Fabiano has already drafted them all. We're going to start a new segment, the Dynasty Sleeper of the Day. And the Dynasty Sleeper of the Day in this show is an FF Draft Prep production. I use FF Draft Prep because I know the players I want, but what I need is a draft day command center. And FF Draft Prep is super intuitive and customizable. You pick the data points you want to display, and then the tool helps to anticipate the picks of the owners around you while being constantly aware of the best available players at your position. I'm about to start the Friends of Roto World Draft, which is another draft room stocked full of the best experts, and I'm going to use FF Draft Prep to help me dominate that particular draft because FF Draft Prep changes the game. Go there now, use the promo code DIEHARDS to receive 20% off and arm yourself with the tool that you need to make fast, intelligent decisions while on the clock. No more panic picks, no more bad drafts with FF Draft Prep. The Dynasty Sleeper of the Day is Pharaoh Cooper, because I'm also reading on Roto World that Pharaoh Cooper has locked up the number three wide receiver job for the St. Louis Rams. Sorry, that was a mistake. Did I say St. Louis? Sorry, St. Louis people! Whoops! You don't have a team anymore. But Pharaoh Cooper is the anti dorial Green Beckham. He's small, 5'11", 200 pounds, but college dominator of a 43.1%, 85th percentile, and a 19.5, 78th percentile breakout age. His workout metrics across the board are under the 25th percentile. So his best comparable player, not surprisingly, is Willie Sneed. But he showed in college that he possesses incredible instincts on the football field and is incredibly strong at the catch point. You throw the ball in his vicinity, he's going to find a way to bring it down. That's what Willie Sneed brings to the table in New Orleans, and that's what Farrell Cooper is going to bring to the table with the L.A. Rams. The reason why he's a dynasty sleeper, not a redraft sleeper, is because he's on the L.A. Rams! You don't want to draft the number three receiver on the LA Rams. That's not the way you win your redraft league. But as that offense evolves over the next couple of years and Jared Goff matures, Pharaoh Cooper could become his number one option. And then he could return incredible value in a dynasty league setting. And we have a bonus dynasty league sleeper on today's show. Not Jeff Janis, who was the leading receiver in division two in 2013. No. Ah. <sighs> I can't believe this guy is on my show sheet. Can't believe it. I can't believe I have to admit to you that I have gone out in all my dynasty leagues and acquired this player. I'm embarrassed to say this name out loud in front of a microphone, but I'm going to do it anyway. Jared (laughs) Arbordares. Oh no, I know, I know, right? I know, right, right? Like I know, I know, like I know, I know. Okay, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay, I know. What about Janice? Well, I lamented to Evan Silva on the last show that the Matt Jones enthusiasts are now off the hook because Matt Jones sprained his AC joint. They can just blame the injury on Matt Jones' poor performance in 2016, just like they blamed. C.J. Anderson's underwhelming 2015 season on a sprained ankle. And now I'm off the hook for Jeff Janis because he broke his hand. Jeff Janis's broken hand, a window of opportunity in which to pivot over to Jared Arbor-Darris without feeling like a complete fraud. This all started with the idea that Devontae Adams and Ty Montgomery are overrated. That's fact. And I believe the optimal configuration for the Packers offense would be to align their talent as follows. Jeff Janis at X, Jordy Nelson at Z, Randall Cobb at Y. That's not going to happen for a lot of reasons. The Packers coaching staff and Aaron Rodgers do not fully appreciate Jeff Janis, and Jeff Janis broke his hand. Now what? We need to face reality that someone needs to win that number three job out of camp. It can't be Janis. Who's it going to be? It's going to be Jared Arbordariz. Why? Because Jared Arbordariz has tremendous size adjusted agility. One of the things we talk about on the show is size adjusted agility matters. And Jared Arbordariz's 1088 agility score is 84th percentile. His best comparable player is Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline in his prime on the Packers would have absolutely been fantasy viable. And because the Packers do not have an electric satellite back that plays out of the slot like Theo Riddick, and they do not have a tight end on the roster that's ever posted a tight end one season in fantasy, what does that mean? That means targets are going to be funneled to the wide receivers, and Jared Arbordariz, tethered to Aaron Rodgers with that agility score out of the slot, could absolutely be a fantasy viable receiver on a weekly basis. He's draftable in redraft. He's a lot more draftable in redraft than Pharaoh Cooper is because they're going to keep Jordy Nelson out at the X position, even though he's getting older and slower. They're going to keep trotting him out there at X. They're going to keep Randall Cobb at the Z position. Randall Cobb's great at Z and he's great at Y. Randall Cobb has that low center of gravity and that girth and blocking ability to be a great flanker. So they're going to put Jared Arbardaris in the slot. They're going to take advantage of his great lateral quickness. And Aaron Rodgers will be peppering him with targets. We just need to be realists. We need to always be adjusting to the reality. If I refuse to pick up Jared Arbardaris out of some sense of loyalty to Jeff Janis, I would be doing my fantasy team a disservice. I would be practicing gross fantasy team negligence, knowing Jared arbor could help my team and then not picking him up. So it's time to get real. Jeff Janis could very well not happen this year. And it's time to be rational and pick up Jared arbor I hate myself so much.